This morning I'm continuing to address the question of social networking, how you connect to the world of which you are a part as a follower of Jesus, the style Jesus had in the world, how he related to people, to human institutions, and things like that. I'm going to be introducing a new series come February 26. So during Lent, I'm going to be talking about the politics of the passion. All right? And that will be the 26th through Easter. Now, don't say to yourself, I don't want to hear the preacher talk about politics. Because you got the wrong idea. I'm not talking about the campaign for president or who's going to be the nominee or should be. I don't go there, and you all know that and hear me week by week and year by year. That's not how I understand my task as a preacher of the gospel. However, I do want to examine the life and ministry of Jesus to find out how he intends to change the culture, the country, the world. What's his strategy? For impacting the world? Is it simply individual salvation? Or does he have another strategy as he engages himself in his world? We're going to see this morning that Jesus does not come to this earth as Son of God and Son of Man to make friends with the powers that be, either religious or political. He's not particularly interested in getting in cahoots with the Romans or going to see Caesar or getting the king or the governor on his side. So what's he up to in the world? Does he have a vision for the future of the world? If so, how's he carrying it out? And if I can understand how Jesus is relating to his world and the powers that be of his day, Maybe I can then understand how I ought to be relating to my world and what my vision of the future might be. What gets me motivated to get out there and go to the city council meeting or get involved with a board or be part of a political party? What gets me out there? What is it about following Jesus that moves me from my individual spot into the world of which I am a part with an intention of bringing change, justice, and maybe helping it become more like the kingdom of God. So that's what I'm going to be doing. It's a little bit complicated, but it's very interesting. So it's the politics of the passion. We're going to look at the parade without a permit, the church without a prayer, the king without a care, the governor without a backbone, the cross without a trial, and the grave without a victim. So while you're going through Lent, one of the things I want you to do is pray that God will help us understand more fully how Jesus operated not only in relation to parties, which we're going to see here, but how he related to the powers of his day and maybe clues to how we can do that as well. Now, 
The text I have this morning stirs my imagination because I remember how I did this. The scripture says in Mark 2.13, once again, Jesus went out by the lake. I've done that. Went out by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, can you imagine this? As he walked along, teaching, people following, going by the sea, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners, and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus' style in the world, how he operates in the world, it's amazing. He startles the religious elite of his day, the teachers of the law, the people who hoped still that he might be in their camp. Maybe he's going to be an advocate. Maybe he will be with us. One of the Pharisees. Like us, a teacher of the law. And then this. And it so puzzles and perplexes them. They just can't figure it out. He's a holy man. He's a prophet. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. What in the world is he doing? Eating with tax collectors and sinners. It's breaking all their paradigms. Shattering their view of religion and the world. They can't get past it. What's the man doing? Before you try mixing circles like Jesus did, mark one thing down. Remember always where you came from. Remember where you came from. Child of God, servant of Christ, remember always where you came from. You were not always part of the people of God. Like Claudia's testimony that we heard some of this morning, there was a time when you were away from God and without hope. And it is important that like Levi, who sat at the tax collector's booth when he heard his call, 
that we too remind ourselves that we are not a gathering of the righteous. Heaven help us if we conceive this as a gathering of the righteous in the city of New Orleans and all the sinners are out there at the parades. You know, they're out there, but thank God we're part of the righteous sitting in the pews. Wrong idea. Wrong idea. We are a gathering of sinners saved by grace. That's who we are. We are a gathering of folks who still need the physician, who still need his touch and his care. And any righteousness which we possess is given to us by the Savior. It is a gift, not something that we have earned. We are part of the sick who need healing. We've got to remember where we came from. If we forget where we came from, we will begin to develop the attitude of the Pharisee. Well, we don't want to be part of those folks. If I understand Jesus' style in the world, the first thing you ought to be when you walk out the door is authentic and transparent. Remember who you are. Remember Jesus saved you. And when you walk out the door, just be who you are. Jesus was as authentic as he could be in the world in which he lived. He was seeking to be transparent. He didn't have a hidden agenda. He was open and honest with people. I urge you to be that way. To be who you are. Don't put on airs. Don't put on masks. You can't be a masker all your life. You can't pretend to be something you're not. It wears you out. It tires you out. At work, in church, at school, wherever you are, be who you are. Part of the giftedness that God gives an institution is you in your authenticity and your transparency. And your honesty is something you bring to your workplace and to your church and to your family that is of utmost importance and great value. When we bring a new person on staff, I talk to them about how desperately we need their honesty, we need their gifts, we need them to be who they are. If a young staff person calls me from another church or a pastor and they say, you know, my church wants me to be like the last education minister or the last music minister they had. My counsel to them is, God gifted that church with you. And his giftedness is who you are. And if it is his will for you to be there, which we believe and assume and have prayed over then, that church needs the person you are, the gifts you have, and the honesty of your heart, the transparency of your life. You be authentically who you are. Don't try to be the last guy that held this post in this institution or the fellow who came before you in this educational work that you're in. Be authentic and transparent. There's something winsome about a person who is just willing to be seen through. Who's not trying to disguise 
or hide who they really are. Are you comfortable enough with yourself to do that? I hope you're not thinking day after day, man, I wish I was somebody else. I don't like me. Maybe you need to preach this sermon to yourself about how God made you as his special creation. And you are his. And even when you and your mother's womb, he was forming you and knitting together, you are fearfully and wonderfully made the package of you, who you are. And you are a gift to your family, your marriage, your business, and your world. When you get comfortable with who you are, and how God has made you, then you can be authentic in the world. I know that the idea in uh, the emerging church, the emergent church or whatever, is that authenticity is of primary importance. And I believe that is absolutely true. But I believe it has also always been true among those who are sincerely seeking to follow Jesus, that we are not in a parade with costumes on, but we are real people. For heaven's sakes, in an hour when we go to Bible study, be who you are. You don't have to put a mask on when you get in your small group. Bible teachers, we ought to be working hard to create an environment in every small Bible study, every group that we have here, where people are willing to share who they really are. It's a sad commentary on the church when if your marriage is falling apart or the kids are giving you trouble, the last people you want to know are the people at the church. I mean, those are the last people you want to know that you've got personal problems, that there are difficulties happening. Somehow, that mindset is so opposite from the Lord Jesus, from his ministry, his person, his work, and who he intends the church to be. You know, if we're hiding ourselves from the church, what does that say about who we are? Let's not pretend. Let's be confidential with our prayer requests. Let's not gossip with our prayers. Let's hear the requests in the hearts of people who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's be authentic. We mix our circles with this authenticity. So we don't have to remember which identity we carry when we change groups. My granddaughter Hope is here this morning, and I told her I might share this. I said, is it okay if I tell them this? And she said, oh, yeah, it's okay. So she's fine with me telling you that when I saw her cheerleading picture, I was startled to realize that her name was Lizzie. I said, you're Lizzie? Oh, she said, you can't call me that at the house. I'm only Lizzie at school when I'm a cheerleader. At home, I'm Hope. And, of course, 
She's hope everywhere she goes. And she's great. And she trusted Jesus just a little while ago. And I'm grateful for her. But I tell you, we live in an age when you can create an identity. See, you can go online and change your name. In fact, this very morning, I sent a message to somebody and I said to them, Is this you? I think I know you. But you're operating under a different name. And I put their name in parentheses. So I would know because the person was communicating to me as if they were somebody else telling me about this person. We better be careful creating these identities that we don't become ourselves plastic people marching around with different masks that we wear here and there. If there's one thing a follower of Jesus must be, it's real. And it is wonderful and winsome to hear a follower of Jesus who is being real about his troubles, his heartaches, his failures, the difficulties of life, because everybody in the room has got them. Before you go to Levi's party, make sure you know who you are. All right? To be authentic and transparent is to do a couple of things as a follower of Jesus that are incumbent upon you, that are not optional, but that we so often assume are. In this day when it's sort of popular to be a secret believer, Jesus himself, when he got ready to mix his circles and get into the world and do his work, he was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. He got baptized. He was announcing who he is. I have an agenda in the world. I have an identity in the world. This baptism helps communicate who I am. So Jesus, who never sinned, was baptized to identify with the people of God. And when he prayed for us, and he prayed, Lord, they are God the Father, they're in the world, but they are not of the world. You've heard that before. They're still in the world. I'm coming out of the world, but they're going to be in the world. Lord, protect them from the evil one. Protect them with your truth. Your word is truth. They're in the world, he prayed, but not of the world. And he wanted the Father to make them one as you and I are one, that they may be one in us, that the world may know that you love them. You will not successfully live this life out in the world, being the person God's called you to be, transparent and authentic in your world, until you have announced that you are a follower of Jesus through baptism. And until you realize that you're not the Lone Ranger and you cannot be successful as the Lone Ranger spiritually in this world. You just can't do it. You need a family of faith. That's why Jesus prayed, make them one because their unity is their strength. When they are together, they are strong. 
They need one another. They help each other. So, Lord, in the world but not of the world, make them one so the Father can see. So they can see the Father loves them. So you're not the Lone Ranger. Identify with the church. Get tight with the group of believers who are seeking to follow Christ in the world as you are. Share your heart with them. Develop that unity of spirit. May the prayer of Jesus happen in your life that there is such a unity between you and the brothers and sisters who are walking the road with you that when people look, look on, they say, the Father loves them. They display the life of the Father in their life together. We will not be successful in the world until we have announced, as Jesus did, our intention, our identity. We go into the world as ambassadors of the grace of God. We are not drifting. We are not meandering. We are intentional every morning when we walk out the door. And committed to the gospel of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, and the mission to which he has called us. Break bread with tax collectors and sinners. Go ahead and eat with them. It's all right, all right? Jesus did it. It perplexed the teachers of his day. Now, you go out there to Levi's party, knowing who you are. If you lose your holiness, you also lose your witness. You understand that, right? God has called you to a life of holiness. Jesus said, be holy like I am holy. What's that mean? It means that you stay true to the lordship of Jesus Christ in every part of your life. That means during Mardi Gras, on Mardi Gras Day, wherever you are, you are a follower of Jesus, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. This is the day the Lord has made, whatever day it is, and you are faithful to him no matter what. And you do not compromise your convictions or your witness. There is no venue in your life where you would possibly do that as a follower of Jesus Christ. And having that determination in your heart that you are his, come what may, no matter what. And whatever place you are in, you are strong enough to say, I cannot do that. I am a follower of Jesus. I can't go down that road because you will get plenty of invitations. Come on, come on, come on into the world. Come on, join us. You know, all 12 of us feel guilty about it. We don't like you standing out there. We feel even guiltier if you don't come. So we want you coming into our sin. They want you with them in their sin. And it brings the judgment of God on their life when you stand back and say, No, I'm not going there. But you can only do that when you have relationships and connections with them in the world. Your light shines when it's set on the hill. When you're out there in the mix of things. Breaking bread with sinners means that you go to the party, the social event, the festival, the wedding reception, that business mixer as a follower of Jesus 
you say, well, I don't know. They're drinking alcohol there. When I was a reporter, almost everywhere I went, they were drinking alcohol. And now, some of you don't know this, but I don't drink alcohol, all right? I'm a teetotaler. That's who I am. I've been that all these years, and I like it. Although I do admire the Budweiser Clydesdales, all right? I do. And everywhere I went, people saw I didn't have a drink, and they wanted to help me out. (laughs) They want to help you out. What, you don't have, you're not drinking? You'd be, you'd be surprised how many conversations that will ignite. What do you mean you're not drinking? What's up with you? Get a chance. Explain who you are. I mean, that's just an example, a personal conviction of mine. But you don't go into the world trying to decide who you are. The Scripture says, be not conformed to this world. Why would it say that? Because there's tremendous pressure to make you just like everybody else so they don't feel guilty about who they are. Be not conformed to this world. But what? Be what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Why? So you may prove what the will of God is. His good and perfect will. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Breaking bread with sinners and publicans means that you can go about in your world. Now, there are some places where you can't go and where Jesus didn't go. But by and large, where humans gather, Christians are among them. And we are among them as ambassadors of hope and witnesses of the gospel in both word and deed. And we need to be plain enough and clear enough, authentic and transparent enough to let our friends, our co-workers know who we are. Amen? Now, another thing that's in this passage. Invite others to social events that highlight Jesus. That's what Levi does. Levi invites his friends to a party, and Jesus is the honored guest. And they're rubbing shoulders with Jesus. Lots of them are followers of Jesus. Some of them are just finding out about him. They want to know who he is. And so Jesus is the honored guest. I got to thinking about what can we invite people to where Jesus is honored and he is highlighted. And I thought, well, church... Have you invited anybody to church lately? Say, come on with me to to church. This is a great thing to do. Have you invited anybody to your Bible study lately? There's a social event that highlights Jesus. Have you ever had a fellowship at your house where you had a few friends over, but you also had some of your brothers or sisters over from the church, and you were just introducing them one to another and kind of getting to know each other? We need to think creatively like Levi did about how to get people in the house, how to get circles together where folks who don't know Jesus perhaps can meet people that do and see who they are and understand who they are.
There are lots of special events that happen, like concerts and Christmas things, and we're going to have a Seder meal during Easter, which is going to be an opportunity for somebody to come to a rather different cultural event and walk through the Passover and how it connects to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just things to invite people to. To stay on our toes about that like Levi did. Uh, to stay attuned to it and think, hey, I need to invite this person to that. They might really see a little bit more of who Christ is in my life and in theirs too if they were to come. And I know that you're going to have objections sometimes to how you live your life of faith. There are always people like the Pharisees who are saying, look, why are you eating with those people? Those people don't need to be in church. They need to be in jail, for heaven's sakes. And there are people who have the strategy of life. I only hang around the right people. That's what I do. I avoid sinners, scandalous sinners. I don't want to be around them. I just want to be with the right people. Look, you can live your life that way. But you're not following the tracks of Jesus when you do that, okay? I'm talking about Jesus' style in the world now. You know the fellow who wrote the first gospel. His name's Matthew. His other name is what? Levi. Levi is Matthew. Matthew wrote the first gospel. You know what Matthew said? In the first gospel, he called Jesus. He's the one of the four gospel writers who called Jesus a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He said he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And this fact about Jesus, this fact that he befriended those who were outside the circles, who weren't considered part of the decent people, the fact that Jesus befriended them. That's what really drove the heart of Levi to Jesus. It's why he jumped up from that table to follow Jesus when Jesus said, follow me. Because Levi was saying in his heart, yes, a man like that, who lives like that, and loves like that, and cares for me, and cares for sinners, I'll follow him. And the world is looking for somebody who's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And when they see him, it surprises them. And it's a great moment. And Jesus taught us how, you know, tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, they understand their spiritual needs sometimes better than the decent people do. In fact, it's Matthew who records that scandalous word that Jesus said to the Pharisees. I got to be careful here, all right? I want to be careful here because I am in danger of being a Pharisee. I've been a religious professional almost all my life. It's the one hole I don't want to fall into. I do not want to be a Pharisee. God keep me from it. It was Jesus who said to the Pharisees, the tax collectors and the, pro and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. 
what he said. Here he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It disturbs us as much as it disturbed his first generation audience that Jesus would say these things. But the truth of the matter is, the healthy people are not healthy because they got it right, they got it good, they got it straight, they made the grade. The healthy people are healthy only in their own minds. It is a problem of self-perception which Jesus addresses with this word. I've not come to call the righteous. And as long as you think that you're righteous because you're doing so good and you've been so good and you've been a good dad and a good citizen, I can't help you. The sick don't need a doctor. What keeps more people from heaven than anything else is spiritual pride and self-righteousness. It's the hardest hold in the heart to break. The notion that I am a self-made man, I've done it myself, I've been on my own, I've worked hard, I've made the right choices, that's why where I, I, I am where I am, and it's all been up to me, and those people down there, they made the wrong choices, and it's their fault, and they need to get straightened up, and no, I'm not going down there, they can fix it themselves. The hardest thing in the heart to fix is the thought that says, I'm here because I'm a pretty good person. There is a church that is plagued with that attitude in the Bible. It's the church at Laodicea. And when Jesus knocks on the door, behold, I stand at the door and knock, he's knocking on the door of that church. We quote Revelation 3.20 a lot on the individual basis. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But in its context, is Jesus outside of a church that says it's the church of Jesus Christ knocking on the door, wanting to come in. That's kind of scary, isn't it? And the church says, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And the angel says, you don't even know that you're poor, blind, wretched, and naked. Never did you discover the true condition of your own heart apart from Christ. The most important thing in mixing your circles is knowing that you stand in grace 
alone. And that you are who you are because of the grace of God and nothing else. Thank God for His grace, amen, that lifts a sinner like us. Amazing grace that saved, as the old song said, a wretch like me. That's how the captain of the slave ship put it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 20,000 souls he grieved that he carried in his ship to slavery from Africa to the New World. He knew who he was. And we must too. Let's bow together. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, if you always held on to your own performance and identity and heritage, how about this morning saying, Lord, here I come, just like I am, knowing spiritually I just need you. I'm broken, and I can't fix myself. Would you just pray for the grace of God to be poured out in your life, confessing your sin and turning to the Savior? What a great moment to lay aside all pride that stands between you and the God who makes salvation a free gift. And just say, Lord, here I am. God, do your work in us. We need you desperately. We thank you for your presence and the power of your spirit in this moment to save. In Jesus' name, amen.